What's up, folks? Well, let me try that again. Oof. All right. What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. We're going to look at three ways that perhaps we could emulate the rich young ruler, but we never want to fall into the particular trap into which the rich young ruler fell. So, good morning, everyone. Empowering Expositors Ministry, good morning to you. Jason Goldtrap, good morning. Wayne Vaughn, good morning to you. We got folks coming in, and it really, I appreciate you greatly, and thank you so much for tuning in and watching. Remember that whatever platform you're watching on, I don't see what you see. I see uh, a, a, an aggregate of all of the chats. Hello, Facebook user. That's Robert Leedy. Good to see you this morning. So I, I have an aggregate of all of the chats, and a couple of, of, of episodes back, there were some folks that their comments were not getting through, and I think they kind of thought that I was ignoring their comments. Listen, I, I, I will delete comments, and I will get people out of the chat. That is a, you have to be pretty disruptive in order to do that. You have to be pretty disrespectful. You have to prove yourself to be a dishonest actor, or you have to prove yourself to be so obstinate that you're obviously trying to overtake the show and derail what we're doing. But barring that, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to like what I'm saying. You don't have to like me. You don't even have to be particularly nice to me whenever you comment. I'll read your comment and I'll answer as best I can. And as long as we don't get vitriolic and as long as we don't be too subvertive to what we're trying to do, then then I'm going to let you go. Because even if you disagree with me, I think I'm right. Therefore, if we disagree, I think you need to be enlightened to think the way I think. That's okay. You know, I could be wrong in that, but my goal is to get you to come around to my way of thinking. So that's all I want to say about that. If if you do feel like that your comments are being deleted or something like that, 99.9% of the time they're not. So without being spammy, just re-up your comment if if you haven't if if I haven't if I haven't read it or acknowledged or at least acknowledged your existence. Scott Bex is looking forward to today's study. Well, thank you. And hey, hey, Alabama says sometimes my comments don't go through, but if I refresh the page, it shows. Oh, that's that's good to know. Actually, I did not know that. And John Exum says, in thinking about the rich, rich young ruler, Jesus does not tell us to literally sell everything we own. His point is that are we willing to give everything to follow Christ? Are we willing to? Uh, are we withholding anything from Christ? I would hope that's not the case. Correct question is this account a parable as some claim i i don't believe it's a parable i did i was not aware that some people thought this to be a parable the reason being is because it, it's not told like a parable it's not a it's not a story where something is happening that that informs and explains on something that we don't understand in other words this is just simply hey if you trust in riches you can't get to heaven and these people, you know, one one group of people wanted to follow, and they said, "Well, let me go bury my dad." One group of one person wanted to follow, and they said, "Well, I've got to go look at a piece of land, or I got to go buy a piece of land." And then, of course, this rich young ruler came, and hey, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, I think that I think this was a real account or an account of something that happened really. I do know that in Luke chapter 16, there's some somewhat of a question as to whether or not the the rich man in Lazarus was a a parable. I do not believe it's a parable, but even if it is a parable in Luke 16, that doesn't change the fact that any time rules of the universe are used, then they are true rules. In other words, 
even if it were a parable, you still have paradise on it, which is Abraham's bosom. You have torment and you have wicked people going to torment and righteous people going to Abraham's bosom. <clears throat> and there's a chasm between the two that cannot be crossed. So even if we're talking about a parable, those rules are still true. In other words, we're, we're still getting a, a peek behind the veil, as it were. But the, 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 the rich young ruler, whenever in Mark chapter 10, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't know anybody ever thought about that as a parable. Anyway, I learned something new every day. I am a cross. Thank you. I am a cross between Santa Claus and a teddy bear, leaning way, way more towards the teddy bear in my old age. But yeah, so I mean, it. it I, I am, I'm one of those people that's that's really really good in small doses. I ain't gonna lie to you. It's I, I know I, I know I grade on people sometimes. I grade on me. I don't like myself all the time. Not, not in an unhealthy kind of you know. Just don't don't read more into that than what it is. That's just normal junk people struggle with. John Exum, it could not be a parable as it deals with an actual person that spoke to Jesus. John, I, I think as far as the rich young ruler is concerned, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, this is an account of something that happened. Uh, I think it's Facebook or YouTube doing what they do, especially if you comment a lot. Hey, hey, Alabama, I think I think that's the case. I think I think if you comment a bunch on a live stream, it dampens your it dampens your comments for some reason. I don't know why. It's crazy. I want all the comments to come in. Hey, Reginald Perry, didn't see you there. All right. I tell you what, if you've been listening this long, I think I'm going to make you listen listen to an ad. We want to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll listen to a word from our sponsor, Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Let me put her information up on the screen, and once we hear a word from our sponsor, we'll get right into the podcast for today, which is a whole lot like a Bible lesson. Are you a part of a church congregation or any other institution seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. You will not be disappointed. I'm bouncing back and forth between YouTube and Facebook due to the character limit on YouTube. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Let me get to the captions and what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up the tip jar. For those of you that, that like supporting the show, uh, you can send, I guess you can send as little as a penny or so through nearchurches at gmail.com. And otherwise, subscribe to Substack. It's free, but you can also do a premium subscription. And uh, we've got a couple of articles lined up that we're going to release behind the paywall. Not that we're trying to hide the gospel message. It's just we're trying to offer some added value to our monetary subscribers. But I promise you, 99% of what we do on Substack and everywhere else is going to be in front of a paywall where you don't have to pay anything. But for those of you that do, we want to offer some extra value. All right, folks, let's talk about the account of the rich young ruler. And I wish to high heavens I could, I could say that I came up with these three points. And I actually preached this this past Sunday in preaching school. A friend of mine, hello, David, and I'm not going to try to pronounce your last word, last name, but hello, David. Good to see you. Now, a friend of mine, Verlbert Pickens. Hello, Brian Allen. Good to see you. Verlbert Pickens is from Memphis. We were both students and graduated the same year from the Memphis School of Preaching, and he preached this, he preached this for an assignment in, I can't remember what class, but it could have been one of his chapel speeches. The rich young ruler, the, there's three R's that we can remember about the three young, rich young ruler that we could emulate. One, he was rich. Two, he was respectful. And three, he was real. In other words, he was honest. He was, he was genuine. All right. Now, before we break this down, let's go to the book of Mark and let's start reading in verse 17. And we're just going to read the account of the rich young ruler. All right. 
And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not. (laughs) I messed that up. Let me read it again. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. Interestingly enough, there's a turn of phrase in the passage of Scripture in Mark in Matthew 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where a man's treasure is, there his heart is also. The light of the body is the eye. And if thine eye be single, the body's full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body is full of darkness, and how great the darkness thereof. You cannot serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, you'll cling to the one and or you'll cleave to the one and you'll reject the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And mammon typically is a stand-in for money, but metaphorically, you cannot serve both God of the universe, the God of heaven, and the God of this world. We cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, folks. And I think that's the main thrust of the rich young ruler. Notice, let me, let me do something here. All right. Here's a list of 10 commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those are four. Notice those are four that's missing from the list that Jesus spake to the rich young ruler. The six, honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. Six had to do with his relationship between men and him. The four that has to do with our relationship between us and God, or between him and God, Jesus didn't ask about. And I think it's because Jesus knew something. And I think that's going to be germane to the lessons we can learn from this rich young ruler. But first, let's talk about the fact that the main attribute, the defining attribute of the rich young ruler is he was rich. That's right. Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I would, I would wonder... I would. I don't wonder. I know. What would someone like, let's say Bill Gates, he he passes away and he goes into the he he goes to the destination awaiting him, because he's not a Christian. I'm not. I'm not casting judgment. The God God's word has judged him. You know. You, you ask Bill Gates, hey, are you a Christian? Are you going to heaven? He's going to say, well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in any of that stuff. And so by default, then, if, if, we, if what we believe is true, that Jehovah God reigns and we have to follow him, then we must believe then that the fate of someone like Bill Gates is eternal damnation. So let's fast forward till the time where Bill Gates is in torment, because unless he changes, that's where he's going to be. How much would Bill Gates give in this life to go to heaven if Bill Gates could actually have a taste of what it's like to be in hell. And and that, that would be a good question for anyone. Hello, Sword and Pearl. It's so good to see you. So what would you give up? I mean, would, would you, for the difference between heaven and hell for an eternity, would you, would you slice off an arm? Think about that. And that's a question posed. Well, it's not a question posed. That's actually an admonition. If your hand is, if you, if you can't keep from sinning with your hand, it's better to have your hand cut off. And we understand this when it comes to physical health. 
if if I if if my hand is injured to the point where it's it's not getting circulation, it's it's turning gangrenous and and rotting, then it's gonna it's gonna send infection to the rest of my body and I'll die. So so there's times where we have to amputate a limb in order to preserve life. Well, maybe we need to think about amputating some some riches, some comforts in this world, so we can have ultimate comfort for eternity in the next. But the young ruler was rich. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, absolutely not. And for proof, I go to 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19. Listen to this. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust, now here's the key, nor trust in uncertain riches, but the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good. So you can do good with your riches. You can be rich in good works because of your riches, and you can be ready to distribute it. So you can have a benevolent heart with your riches, willing to communicate. In other words, you're going to give to others, laying by in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. I put forth to you that one of the ways to be rich in the kingdom is to strive to be rich in this world's good and then use the physical blessing that you have in order to lay treasure up in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves do break in and steal. It would be my prayer for every individual who endeavors to do something with the gospel online to help this world, to help people in it, that this system of algorithm and pay-per-views and sponsorships and stuff like that, it's my prayer that it would reward you richly. I know the Sword and Pearl, I know that she has a merch shop. She reads the Psalms on her Facebook channel, I mean, on her YouTube channel, and she also has a book that she's written. I would hope that she would sell a billion copies. Why? Well, because a person who would have the platform and the spirit to do the work that people do, putting out gospel content, putting out Christian content online, they're the ones that I want to have the most money because I feel like they're the ones who would live according to the divine examples in scripture, and they would be the ones that would distribute that and they would help others with their success. And a rising tide raises all ships. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not even a detriment to be rich. Now, there are problems that come with being rich that are different than problems that come with being poor. I get it. But if you're going to have problems, I would rather I would rather drive to see my psychiatrist in a Lamborghini than not have enough money to even go see a psychiatrist. So something to think about. Something to think about. So the rich young ruler was rich. Now, is is being rich something for Christians to aspire to? Well, it depends on how healthily it's done. Obviously, you do not need to aspire to be rich and not be healthy in other ways. Uh, I post scripture and I post YouTube videos of acapella hymns. I know that encourages folks. And Sword and Pearl says, thank you, Tony. My, my, my pleasure. My pleasure, Sword and Pearl. Wayne Vaughn says, more blessed to give than to receive. Absolutely. Incidentally, incidentally, I would have to look that up in the book of Acts. It's I think it's verse 35. Is it 2035? Forget it. Just look that up in Acts. Or look that up in the New Testament. That is a that is a time where a prophet is quoted, but the words of that prophet is never written down. So Jesus said, "It's more blessed to give than to receive." Paul quoted Jesus, but that's not a passage of scripture that was ever written down. That's kind of interesting to me. Anyway, that's that's doesn't have anything to do with the podcast. Luke chapter one verse. 20, or verse 80, it's not what you have, but what you do with what you have. We are to be good stewards, absolutely equipping expositors ministry. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. Nope, wrong verse. It should be the last 
Yeah, it's the last verse of chapter 2, not the last verse of chapter 1. Verse 52 of Luke chapter 2. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Wayne Vaughn, I ought to listen to me more often. It is Acts 20, 35. Oh, <laughs> brain pan pulls through from time to time, folks. I used to be a lot sharper than what I am. My brain has lost elasticity and, and stickiness. Things don't stick quite as well to it. Anyhow. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Is there anything wrong with having the favor of God and man? To have the favor of man does not necessarily mean that you that you must be out of favor with God or vice versa. There are there are planes along which those lines intersect. For instance, being upright. Think about Titus 2, 11 and following. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Soberly is sober-minded. That's your inner man. Righteous is upright before your fellow man, and godly is living right before God through his commandments, precepts, and divine examples, all right? The rich young ruler, he was rich. He grew in stat- he grew in favor with God and man, and I would say that he, he had favor with man, and he probably wasn't doing anything overtly that would have caused him to fall out of favor with God. It was more along the lines of what he was neglecting. However, we're focused on the fact that he was rich. You can be in Christ, and you can be faithful in Christ, and you can also be financially successful and blessed in this world's good. Yeah, as long as it does not go against God's word, stick to itiveness. And uh, Scott Beck says, sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but is it implied in Matthew 19, 23, that the rich man is not using his riches wisely? I don't know. I need to look at Matthew 19. I have not ever considered that from the text or from the account. I mean, and, and is that an, is that the same account, Matthew nineteen? Hold on, I'll get there. Matthew nineteen. Oh yeah, this is the same account. Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm oriented now. Uh, Scott Beck, I don't believe that the text is implying that he's using his riches unwisely. He's probably being very wise with his riches. He's just not being godly with them. In other words, the point is he is trusting in his riches, and this is this is this is something very important. You can trust in your works for salvation and still be doing godly works. But if you trust in your works, you will not be able to go to heaven. Does that make sense? I go back to to Romans 4. Let me let me read the first few verses of Romans 4 and then we'll get right back to right back to where where we were. Listen to this. I call this the tale of two Christians. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 4, I think. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Well, now, wait a second. Abraham worked. How come he was counted righteous? It's because Abraham didn't trust in his works. Abraham trusted in God. And he did the works because of his trust in God. But Tony, it, it's the same works. It's the same. Yes, it is. The difference is where in where we place our trust. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to a job. I'm trying to think of, a, I mean, well, the analogy is here. Let me just give you this analogy. There's two Christians. Both of them are 100 years old. 
They have been Christians for 80 years. They both obeyed the gospel on their 20th birthday. Both of them have, quote unquote, been there every time the doors open. Both of them gave as they were prospered. Both of them went to all the fellowship meals. Both of them loved to cook, so they would make barbecue for the fellowship meals. They would be at the extracurricular activities of the church. One and, and, and now, the next day, both of them die. One of them goes to paradise, and one of them goes to torment. What is the difference? They both looked exactly the same to you and me. One of and both of them were rich. They were both rich in this world's good, and they were both rich in quote unquote good works for the kingdom of God. Why did one go to torment and one go to paradise? In what did he trust? One man trusted in himself, including his riches, his works, and one man trusted in God and worked because of his trust in God. And that, my friends, is the difference. That's the difference. The rich young ruler, he didn't trust in his works. He didn't trust in his... Ah, Tony, hold on. Strike that. Reverse it. The rich young ruler, he didn't trust in God. He didn't say, you know what? I'm going to live a life for God And if I receive physical blessing on earth, that's just the icing on the cake. He trusted in himself to go out and get the riches, so therefore he trusted in his riches. Now, in order to do that, he had to live soberly and righteously, but he was not godly because he didn't trust in God. He trusted in the works. Obedient faith, Wayne Vaughn. That's exactly true. And Scott Beck says, thank you. Now, back to the text in Mark. So the young ruler was rich, and there's nothing wrong with being rich. So if we are sober-minded, if we are upright before our fellow man, and we are godly, we will live a much better life on earth than if we wouldn't, and we can, within the confines and rules and morality that God has set up for the cosmos, we can be successful, and we can live a life, quite frankly, of richness even being blessed in this world's good. Dave Ramsey, oddly enough, is a very good lecturer to listen about this. He, he, he puts a spiritual spin and a psychological spin on finances. When talking about getting out of debt, Dave Ramsey tells you, don't take our method to an accountant because our method is not mathematical. Our method is psychological because the 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 state of being that allowed you to 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 be net negative and to cause you to be broke that was 90% psychological and 10% mathematical so you have to have a psychological solution for it that's why i have i'm having so much trouble losing weight it's it's not i mean it mathematically i just need to eat less calories than i take in i need to burn off more calories than i eat That's mathematics. Well, my problem is only about 10% mathematics. Now I got to get my psychology correct. Same way with riches. Same way with salvation. We, 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 this is a psychological engagement, an intellectual engagement with God. And we trust in God in order to have a good life on this earth. Go back to Genesis chapter four. If thou doest well, will it not be accepted of thee? And if thou doest not well, then sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. If we don't, if we don't do what the what the God of the universe says to do, then we won't be sober minded, and we won't be upright before our fellow man, and we will not be able to accrue riches on this on this earth. But if we are sober-minded and we are upright before our fellow man, then we'll be responsible, we'll be trustworthy, we'll have a community of people around us that can help us, there'll be a community of people surrounding us that we can help, thus creating those connections that allow us to rise to the top, where people who are deviants of the rules of the cosmos, liars, cheats, thieves, well, they're ostracized 
and it's harder for them to become successful physically in this world's good. Yes. Where are our priorities? That's the end for, for what do you strive? Well, I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to understand all this other stuff's going to take care of itself as long as I trust in God. And that's what the rich young ruler did not do. He trusted in himself. And I think it's evident because of the commandments that Jesus listed, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. So we have, we've discussed how the rich young ruler was rich and that's something we can emulate, but we need to do it in a godly way where we prioritize serving God and keeping his commandments for this is the whole of man. I don't like adding the word duty. It is a duty to serve God and keep his commandments, but it's more than that. And the word duty was added by the English translators to smooth out the translation. And I don't believe it was needed. Serve God. The ecclesiastical preacher Solomon says, serve God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. And if we serve God and keep his commandments, all these other things will kind of fall into position. That's the idea. Now, he was rich. Well, you know what? He was respectful. What happened to the days whenever whenever you met people and you didn't know them, you said yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, regardless of their age? What happened to the days where you tipped your hat? What happened to the days where we had a sense of societal propriety when it come to, comes to how we dress and how we conduct ourselves and how we speak? Do you, those of you that are growing up, I'm 46 years old. I remember, so it sounds weird to me now. I don't say this word a whole lot, but I hear it said a whole lot. The word F-A-R-T. That, that, was a very, that was a dirty word growing up. You didn't say that. It was, quote, unquote, vulgar. How come it is that there's no such thing as vulgar speech anymore? Now, you know, those of you that listen to me a lot, you, you know that I'm, I consider myself somewhat of a philologist, a grammarian. I really enjoy etymological studies and how we get words, and I think it's silly sometimes what people consider to be a bad word. And I think it's silly sometimes how people clutch their pearls whenever somebody says a quote unquote bad word and they gasp and they totally dismiss anything this individual has to offer now because he said a quote unquote dirty word. I get it, but it doesn't matter. There's still a sense of propriety and a sense of societal propriety. And while we can recognize stuff like that, why is it then that we don't have these standards of speech where it's vulgar? And, and I think about listening to interviews of children that are, in other words, they were, they were 15, they were 10 or 15 years old. They were being interviewed around uh, World War II, or was it World War I? I can't remember. It's very old footage. But these, these young kids were talking more eloquently and they sounded more refined and educated and reformed than many of the adults that I hear talking today. Got my mouth washed out with soap for using that word, Scott. But yeah, the word F-A-R-T. I mean, it just, it still, it makes me cringe nowadays to, to hear that word. And, and, and it's just, I'm like, and the reason being, it's not a bad word, but it is vulgar. Do you know what the word vulgar means? It basically is you're speaking the language of commoners. And I, I, I get it. We are a peculiar people. We are children of the king. We should be, quote unquote, better. I don't think we should have the language of the commoners. I don't think we should have the language of vulgarity. Just, just think about that. Anyway. The, the, the young ruler, the rich young ruler, he was respectful. Notice what he didn't do. Listen to what the text says. And when he was gone forth into the way, so there came one running to him. So he was running. He didn't, he didn't holler from across the way. He didn't say, hey, hold up, Jesus. Hey, man. Or he didn't call him over here. Hey, come over here. He ran to him. His time is important. He's an important rabbi surrounded by students. And the young ruler, despite his station in life and despite his status, 
He kneeled, offered as a sign of respect, and then he gave him an honorary. He said, good master. He recognized Jesus as somebody who was at the top of his game, good at his craft, and he said, good master. You're, you're, you're a teacher. You're a master. I won't, I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm putting you in the one-up position, and I'm coming to you in the one-down position. I want to know what I need to do and inherit eternal life. Folks, I would that everybody would be so respectful. Whenever you find somebody that, this, that, that is this open, it might not go. I mean, they, they, you might have a Bible study with them that doesn't end in them obeying the gospel and converting to Christianity. But at least you will be able to have a terminus. You will be able to come to an end, and, and you will know where you stand with them. The, the rich young ruler was respectful. And I think it's interesting. It was ironic, evidently, that he called him good master because Jesus, Jesus basically Jesus is like, do you understand what you're affirming by what you're saying? The only way you can be good is to be godly. And the only way you can be godly is to be good. I am, I am claiming that I'm the son of God, that I'm God on earth. I cannot be both godly and good if that is also, if that is false. In other words, I can't be lying and be good. I'm either a good master or I am a bad master. If I'm lying, I'm bad. If I'm telling the truth, I'm good. Why callest thou me good? Know you not that there's none good but one? That is God. If God is good and I'm good, then I am exactly who I claim to be. Folks, we need to be respectful. Wouldn't hurt us to be rich. Live a life in such a way as you can be, and then be respectful. You'll go a lot farther. So we can emulate this from the rich young ruler. Be respectful. Be respectful of people's time. Be respectful of people's station. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, here's the final. The rich young ruler was real. And by real, I mean he was real honest. Notice, Jesus said, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. And honor thy father and mother. Well, all of those were horizontal commandments honor your father and mother not don't murder don't commit adultery don't steal don't bear false witness and don't covet all right well i'm a rich young ruler i'm successful obviously i live in this world and i can get along and treat other people well and respectful and i don't harm them that's why i'm successful you see i've kept all these from from my youth up. If he were alive today, it's possible the rich young ruler would have been an Eagle Scout. You know, that's a big deal. I didn't realize how big a deal that was until I got grown. Until I got grown. I'm a grammarian. I like grammar. I got grown. Anyway, but again, notice. Notice what's missing. He was sober and righteous, so he is sober-minded, and he was upright before his fellow man in that. He did honor his father and his mother. He, he didn't commit murder. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't steal. He doesn't bear false witness against his neighbor, and he doesn't covet. But he did not have a relationship with God because Jesus said, yeah, you're right. I mean, well, he didn't say that exactly. But you notice Jesus, Jesus didn't say, well, you're a liar. Jesus just assumed the truth of it. And I don't think Jesus had to assume anything. He's God on earth, but you get the idea. I would think that the young ruler was expecting Jesus to tell him to spend a portion of his riches to the poor. A portion. You got that right. Yeah, how much money do I need to give? It's kind of like buying indulgences in the in the 1500. It's like kind of like buying indulgences in the long ago. I'd have to Google when that was. The rich young ruler teaches us that it is not enough to simply follow the commandments to inherit eternal life. You got that right. So the rich young ruler, he's rich, he's honest, and he's real. He said, I've kept all these from my, I've observed from my youth. And Jesus, Jesus basically acknowledged that to be correct. But he goes on to say, one thing thou lackest. You've got to get rid of the thing that's keeping you from having a relationship with God. Now, with the young ruler, what was it? Evidently, it was his riches. 
Sell whatever thou hast and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, one of the most heart, gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching things about this account is the honesty of the rich young ruler. He wasn't prepared to do it, and he knew that about himself. He said, no, I'm going to... I'm sad, but I'm going to keep what I have. It's more, you're asking me more than I can give. Folks, we got to learn, we got to, we got to decide early on what we're going to do with Jesus when the time comes for us to choose between Jesus and something else. Many times in our life, we are, we are in the crowd choosing either Barabbas or Jesus. The rich young ruler chose Barabbas. I don't want Jesus. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Little did he know that the wealth that he had could not compare for the treasure laid up in eternity if he would have done what Jesus would have asked him to do. Now, Jesus, as John Exum said in the early parts of this podcast, this is not a formula for how Christians ought to be. In other words, well, you have to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized and sell everything you have. That's not that's not it. Are we willing to give up everything for Christ, sword and pearl? It's a good question. That's that's the question. And incidentally, a more poignant question for us today in modernity. Are we willing to give up anything? Think about that one. I wrestle with that. Man, what am I giving up for Christ? If we can't think of things that we are sacrificing on the altar, burning it for Jesus in order to serve him, we might need to take inventory of our lives and be like, what have I got that I don't need to have? In college, I wanted to be a politician. I read the rich young ruler account and thought, what would I give up to follow Jesus? I don't have any money. And then it hits. You give up politics. So I gave up politics. I get it. Lordship, a concept of which many are ignorant, absolutely. And Wayne Vaughn, Matthew 6, 33, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. I think about constantly what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I count not myself to have apprehended but one thing, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The rich young ruler decided that that's not the life he wanted. And he didn't waste anybody's time. How often, my brethren, have you uh, met someone, you felt felt them out as a prospect for a Bible study, you've gotten a Bible study, they've even obeyed the gospel, and then they just kind of wasted your time. They're they just went through the motions. They weren't sincere. They didn't make any life changes. And how, how, I mean, how, how much does that hurt? And so at least props to the rich young ruler. He let you know where he stood. He didn't waste Jesus's time. He said, I'm just not willing to follow you. He didn't try to change the law. He didn't say Jesus was being judgmental. He didn't say that Jesus was not being inclusive. He just said, you know what? This is not for me. I wish that the people in the world that are attacking Christianity for having boundaries would just be honest and say, you know what? I don't want to be a Christian. I, I feel like that sometimes whenever the LGBTQ, LGBT plus AI, two-spirit, whatever community is attacking Christianity as being a racist, sexist, biggest home, if I'm like, Look, wait a second, wait a second. All we do is we have a standard for living, and one of those standards is you can't be a fornicator. You have to repent and and be celibate, or you have to be married under the definition of God's definition of marriage. So if you're a homosexual, we understand you're going to have deviant desires, but having deviant desires is not sinful. I mean, if you have a desire to steal or a desire to murder, that's, those are deviant, perverted desires that are not in alignment with the nature of God. But that doesn't mean you're in sin. 
You have to act that out. Well, that's just the rules of Christianity. And if you don't want to follow those rules, we're not going to make you. God's not going to force you. He's going to honor your wishes. So just be real. Just be honest and say, you know what? I just don't want to be a Christian. I would rather everybody want to be a Christian. But if I had, if I, if, if I could think of one reasonable thing, if I were in charge of the universe, I would just make it like, look, once you come into contact with the gospel, just check yes or no. And if you check no, you know what? Go, go handle your business. We're not going to bother you anymore. And when I say we're not going to bother you, and it's not like we're going to wash our hands of you. But for instance, if, you, if you're a local preacher and you're, you're the evangelist for a congregation, let's say you go out in, in July and you knock on every door in the city and you have three people say, well, look, hail Satan and I hate Jesus. Well, you might not go back the next month to those houses. You might leave them alone and then maybe the next month. But you don't waste your time on people that look at you and say, hey, I hate Christianity. Hail Satan. I'm not going to bother those people. I'm going to focus on the people that are, 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 are resonating, at least with my visits and the message. Conservatives never force their beliefs on someone else. The progressives only force their beliefs on someone else. Sadly, I believe that is the case. I don't want to get overly political here, but that is, that is a true statement. So we've learned some lessons from the rich young ruler. Number one, he was rich. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you can do a lot of good if you're rich. And in fact, if you are rich, Scripture mandates and legislates what you do with your riches. You help people out with them. The rich young ruler was respectful. Well, that's certainly something to be emulated. We need to be respectful. And then the rich young ruler was real, and that's probably the most important one. The rich young ruler, he was honest with where he was, and he was honest with where he wanted to be. Sadly, that ended up in him staying in that condition. Folks, the lesson or the overarching lesson of the rich young ruler is that rich young ruler cannot. It is impossible for him to enter the kingdom of heaven in his current state of trusting in his riches. In fact, it would be just as absurd an idea to think that a camel could pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich young ruler trusting in his riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's don't, in that way, let's not be the rich young ruler. But in the other ways, let's assimilate the principles that allowed him to be successful. But instead of falling short, let's be godly and have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sometimes people who attain great riches often trust in them Rather than to trust in God, they allow their wealth to be a stumbling block. Terry Crooks, absolutely correct. I've said it before. I'll say it a hundred million times. Hopefully I'll have enough time to say it a hundred million times before I die. Going on a door knocking campaign for a gospel meeting. I want the slums, the ghettos, the trailer parks, the quote unquote other side of the track, because I'm not a very good evangelist. And it's hard for me to convince people in mansions that they need to obey the gospel because they've got everything they ever wanted. But if I go to the bad part of town, if I go to the slums, the ghettos, the trailer parks, the poor part of town, well, those people are hungering and thirsting after something. And it's, I am good at redirecting that desire from earthly wealth to spiritual wealth. We are given Kodak moments in the Bible. I'd like to think he put thought into that and eventually obeyed the gospel. I'd like to see him in heaven one day. Hey, hey, Alabama, I am 100% co-signed on with that thought. And that's probably a good thought to leave with. Folks, if you trust in anything other than Almighty God, you're like that rich young ruler. I can trust in my works as a Christian. I can trust in my riches as a citizen of this earth. But in the end, I won't be with Jesus. The only way to be with Jesus for eternity is to trust in God. 
and not our riches. Folks, this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. We would love for you to support the show monetarily. You can do that with Substack. Also sign up for a free subscription on Substack. Nearchurches at gmail.com is the PayPal. And be sure and follow us on uh, YouTube, Christianity Now Streams. I will tell you this, with a little help from our listeners, we could actually have a monetized YouTube channel fairly quickly. We have to get 4,000 watch hours in, in a 12-month period. And for the last 12-month period, we're about half there. We got 2,000 watch hours. So we need 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. Well, we've already got 2,000 watch hours with 150 subscribers. So think about what what we could do if every one of our listeners took it upon themselves to be like, you know what? I would love to support the show monetarily, but I can't. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be their advocate online, and I'm going to share their YouTube with all of my friends. And I'm going to invite people to the Christianity Now Facebook group, and I'm going to invite people to the Christianity Now page, and I'm going to share the links from YouTube, Christianity Now streams on my social media, and it won't be long. We'll have those 4,000 watch hours and 1,000 subscribers, and we can be monetized. And YouTube makes money off of what we do anyway. They're just not giving us a cut of it. So if we're monetized, the money that YouTube is making off of our channel anyway, we'll just be able to get a cut of it. So that's all I want to say. God bless you. This has been Tony Brew with Christianity Now, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Hey, hey, Alabama says if you can make playlist, it a It'll pull them up and let them play. I do that for a few others. That's awesome. Hey, hey, Alabama, are you talking about me making playlists? Or are you saying other people can make playlists with my material? That's pretty cool, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, well, I don't know much about it, but I can definitely learn. And uh, that's it. Go see Barry O'Dell at 11. God bless every one of you. Thanks for correct. Oh, gotcha. It's cool beans, Terry Crooks. And, uh, okay, playlist on my channel. Good deal. Yeah, podcast, Spotify. Yeah, Peaches, Pumpkin Pie. The podcast is on uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Folks, that's all I've got here. God bless every one of you. And there is a playlist on the YouTube channel that has all of our videos. So, yeah, there it's, it's, just, it's just a podcast stream. I may see if I can make another playlist with more topical stuff anyway god bless you this has been tony brewer i mean it this time god bless you this has been tony brewer and we'll catch you on the flip side